This is Coda Radio, episode 552 for January 9th, 2024. Hey friends, and welcome into Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and the business of software development and the whole world of technology. My name is Chris, and our host over there, ready to go, it's Mr. Dominic. Hey, Mike. Risa back. Hello, sir, 2024. Jar, 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 jar. It's in the contract. We do it after the show now. <laughs> jeez, jeez. How you doing? You all right? You good over there? You seem a little tired. I'm a little tired, but that's okay. It's all right. I can tell already. I know you well enough. I can boom. Yep, yep. You know, it's uh, I'm, I'm an old man, Chris. What can I say? If, I, we, I get... if we were doing the show in person, I'd be like, before the show, I'd be like coming up ways to like hype you up a little bit, you know? Yeah, well, you know, I, I, I have a cup of Earl Grey hot here because I had to. Of course, I'm sure over our break, you know that I was just sitting here in a rage remembering my complete failure to defend the honor of Babylon 5 against Utrecht. Oh, we'll get there. Oh, we'll, we'll get, get okay, there. Okay, okay. Oh, yeah. I'm, but first, I'm honestly not even exaggerating, joking at all. Not a bit. I'm taking my top layer off because I am so fired up about this. And I think I'm getting too warm. I'm getting too warm. I think I got to just get on a soapbox. I know, and I shouldn't do this at the top of the show. It's ridiculous. But look, I brought this box. Let me. Yeah. Okay. There is a wild blind spot happening today as we record, which is Tuesday, January 9th, in the tech community. Maybe one of the biggest blind spots in the tech community in the history of the internet and beyond. I'm talking like from The Verge all the way down to individual people listening to this show. Uh, you're all blowing it. Maybe you got distracted by monkey JPEGs. I don't know, but I was just talking to the live stream. We may be, as this episode publishes, uh, it may have already happened, the first ever free software project. Not a company that makes money using free software, but an actual free software project is about to get traded on the U.S. stock market, which is the largest market in the world. Open source software is about to be approved as an ETF, and it's going to be backed by the biggest banks in the world. It's, it's a big deal. Hey, David, yeah, that is the question. A Bitcoin ETF, it's now widely expected to get... The green light this week, two sources close to the process now telling me it's looking like Wednesday, which is also the deadline for Kathy Wood's ARC and 21 shares bid. Then I'm told potential trading would happen Thursday or Friday, but it has been a moving target here on dates. The SEC is expected to pro- approve rather a handful of applications at once. So sponsors filing even more paperwork this morning where we are starting to get a sense of this price war emerging. There are 13 applications out there with different fees. Some are starting at zero and then rising once the fund hits a certain size. So BlackRock, for example, plans to start at 0.2% and then go to 0.3%. Fidelity at 0.39%. Grayscale looking like the highest here, 1.5%. This one's worth watching, guys. It's looking to convert an already publicly traded Bitcoin trust, GBTC, into an ETF, so known as an uplist. With $27 billion roughly under management, GBTC would become one of the largest commodity-based ETFs if it is approved. $27 billion is one of the ETFs. Twelve different banks, BlackRock, Fidelity, they're all potentially, as this episode posts, getting their Bitcoin ETF approved. It's not an Ethereum ETF. It's not a crypto ETF. It's not a Solana ETF. It's not a Cordano ETF. It's not a Dogecoin ETF. It's a Bitcoin ETF, and nobody's talking about it. 
it's it's a free software project that's about to be traded on the stock market. Now I know it's money and it's the stock market and that's gross, but it is historic nonetheless. And it's also exactly what I said would happen, just as a side note, exactly what I predicted. This summer would wash out much of the crap crypto. And after the summer was over, the big banks would come in and they would legitimize Bitcoin. Well, look what's exactly happened, my friends. Not to take a victory lap, but even if it gets delayed, it's still going to happen inevitably because the SEC has been told they have to do it by the court. So what do we think that means ultimately now that it's on the market? Well, so, you know, if it's an ETF, that means it is it's kind of just built into all of the platforms that let you buy stocks and sell stocks and buy things like ETFs. And, you know, the gold ETF is a very common way for people to actually buy a position in gold. Uh, if, you know, there is some of the banks that are involved are specifically banks that will hedge for different retirement fund options as well. So once it's an ETF, it, it you, know, uh, you know, maybe a retirement fund that you say is, oh, I'm. I'm long-term high-risk tolerance. Well, maybe they put they allocate 5% of that retirement fund to Bitcoin now. It legitimizes it for the big, large financial institutions. And then since it's backed and promoted by Larry Fink and BlackRock and the biggest banks in the world, I mean literally the world, it, you, you, you can't really argue because if you're a financial institution or, or advisor that says, well, Bitcoin is a scam, well, then you're saying that Larry Fink and BlackRock and Fidelity – and JP Morgan don't know what they're doing. So it's a massive validation in the in the financial world. Right. And I feel like it becomes if you're one of those big players another uh you know just another one of many Wait, is it trading as a commodity? It's got to be trading as a commodity. Uh, well, kind of. It's it's so it's like a like a it's probably the most analogous to a gold ETF. So Okay. When you can buy fractions, you could go buy like 5 10 bucks of it. And under underneath that like BlackRock and Fidelity and others are buying a corresponding amount of Bitcoin to match that. And then when you cash out, you get cash, not Bitcoin. Yeah. So in most cases, I think it's just going to become another place where, you know, uh, a lot of the big funds can diversify and it's a, another place to diversify, right? Well, And it's fantastic for boomers. And I don't mean that to be ageist. I mean, legitimately, because, you know, for my folks, 13 years ago when Bitcoin was a hundred bucks and I told them, hey, you should buy some of this. <laughs> what am I, I'm going to go get a what, am I going to get a Mt. Cox account or a Coinbase account 10 years later? Like, what, am I going to get a Coinbase account? That's silly. There, it's, it, it was just sort of a silly toy thing to them. But, uh, you know, if, he's, if you know, dad's going to log into his Fidelity account already and he's got some Apple and, Tesla, Apple and Tesla stock in there, well, now also on that same screen is the Bitcoin ETF. And um, it's going to perform very well because of this. You know, recession aside, you have these ETFs opening up. That's going to bring money in. You've got the halvening cycle in sometime in the spring, probably April, where, where this happens every four years, but half the amount of Bitcoin get issued. So the scarcity goes up. And then in December, the accounting practices board is changing the accounting practices around Bitcoin so that it's more, I guess, attractive to corporations to hold Bitcoin on the balance sheet. And that's all happening in 2024. So I think it's a big year, and I, I think it, it really makes it stand out from all the other crap. You know, when we started this discussion, we started the discussion about Web3. Well, where is all that stuff at right now? It, it's barely hanging on. Yeah. But, you know, I, I, I just think it's remarkable because all that aside, we've never had this historic to have a free software project now be traded on the stock market. Not the company, right? Not like Red Hat, but the actual open source project now. The, the current is recognized as a currency and is 
is being packaged up and bought and sold by by the largest banks in the world, and nobody says a thing about it. And it's really it's interesting the blind spots that we can have as a tech community, but specifically the free software community, because this is a massive milestone for the free software community. Meanwhile, your JPEGs of monkeys, how's that going? Yeah, right? Like, <laughs> I, I feel like everybody got distracted by the monkey JPEGs, and they missed the signal. Well, almost everybody. Uh, good old signal to noise. Speaking of signal, it looks like Apple might be getting a signal now when you spill something on your Mac. You know, I we have, I have to ta- stop talking smack about Apple because now they're just building in features to screw me. <laughs> yeah, they're listening to their show, and they're listening to the show, and they're like, oh, so that's what we need to do. Yeah, so... Uh, they're going to be able to know if you've spilt liquids into the USB-C port, uh, suggesting that it will actually like phone home and tell them yeah. that you spilled in the USB-C port. Yeah, I guess they're looking at someone, a 9to5Mac, I guess, is looking at code in Sonoma 14.1 Mac OS. There's a new system demon in there named Liquid Detection D. <laughs> yeah, you can probably <sighs> guess what that does. <laughs> Yeah, I guess, I guess I know what it does. D indeed, bunch of D's over there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's 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 yet another little little thing where Apple's like just a reminder: this device is our device. You know, I can't say that my reasons for not liking this are are at all pure, but it is true that right in many cases you can spill liquid on a machine, throw it in rice or whatever, and be okay, or at least you know not like obviously damaged. The problem is. Now, I'm assuming the intention of this is, let's say, you you know, in January, you spill liquid on your MacBook. They'll be like, okay, and then in March, you have a problem that maybe the liquid damage wouldn't have been so obvious in March. Well, they'll run the serial number and just know that it's been damaged by liquid. So, presumably denying your warranty or forcing you to pay the higher price on the Apple Care for the uh, accidental damage. The code... The source code suggests that, yeah, it's actually going to – you could even report it back as part of just the analytics collection that reports yeah. back to Apple. Now, not that they would, but that means Apple would technically have the capability of associating that information with your iCloud ID. And then when you open a schedule and book an appointment with the Genius Bar or whatever they call it now, I mean it would be a simple matter to just expose that bit of analytical information on your account. And then you show up, they've got a little note that says, before you've even opened your mouth, they've got a little note that says, you know, the right port has a liquid detection sensor gone off. And you're sitting there giving them a whole spiel about your grand theory on why the port's not working. <laughs> and they know why. They're just listening to your little story the whole time. Well, and, and the end result is they just charge you more, right? Because they have multiple tiers where Apple Care will cover you. I wouldn't know. Yeah, well, I would. And uh, <laughs> if it's obvious liquid damage, they charge you, like, depending on the model it can be quite expensive, but it's like cheap enough that re- buying a new one isn't worth it. Part of this and why these prices have gone up, other than Apple's just love of thick, juicy margins, is as more components get soldered together, it's kind of impossible in most cases to just replace a, you know, insert broken port here. Indeed. So you're usually almost always replacing the, don't call it a motherboard, the logic board. Um, which in the case of MacBooks is effectively the entire machine. So sometimes it's attached to like the bottom of the keyboard or something, depending on your generation too. Well, usually it's like the yeah, it, it's it's usually pretty. Ah, uh, it sucks ass. I mean, it, but you know, I understand that we can make fun of my spilling liquids all day long, which we should. <laughs> but from Apple's perspective, 
you know, it's we're going into this as we've been talking about for months now, this kind of year of uh, efficiency and trimming and things people are looking for margin. This is a good way to get margin, right? Because if you know that someone spilled something on their laptop, you could you, you got them. It's the terms of the warranty. You're screwed, right? You're, you got them. Like there's nothing they can do. And now you've got the data. Yeah. Which is, you know, you're, you can kind of guess the way this conver- these conversations come up. Like this is a big enough problem that they're going to spend the time and money to A, develop this analytic system and B, install these stupid sensors. Well, the other thing too is like the, the folks at the Genius Bar tend to be like nice, you know, personable people. And if you have liquid damage, but, but it's like maybe not the proximate cause of your problem, I'm pretty sure that on more than one occasion, uh, this happens pretty frequently, they kind of look the other way, right? And say, oh, I guess it's defective. Um, I, now I, would, that I wouldn't know. Again, I, I wouldn't know. Yeah, yeah I know. Uh, now that's not going to be possible, right? Because there'll be a supervisor that says, hold on, buddy, that serial number had, had the liquid, uh, you know, three liquid sensors triggered. So... There's uh, also, t- I, I believe how this will be used is it takes a little discretion out of the frontline uh, genius. That seems like probably, you know, not like, again, that's not going to change people's lives, but that's probably the practical. Uh, it's going to just make mine more expensive. Although when I do the job, I do it. I mean, it's pretty obvious. Hold on. Hold on. We have breaking news, Mr. Oh. Dominic, coming in right now. Holy smokes. We have details on the Apple Vision Pro. It uh, is going open. It'll be available for pre-orders on January 19th, and it's going for open sale on February 2nd. Not exactly clear on how that's going to work. You can probably expect a very limited quantity online, so that way they get your butt in the store and get pictures of lines out the door. Uh, The headsets and lenses will be adjusted for each customer. Remember, it is $3,499 before accessories. And taxes. Yes. Also, along with this, Apple has released Vision OS guidelines for marketing, and they're asking developers and others to not refer to it as VR, XR, any of that kind of stuff, AR. They want, quote, spatial computing. Do you think this is going to destroy Tim Cook? No. I I think it's going to be a a blip on the radar. Really? Really? A a $3,500 computer on the precipice of a— Yeah, it's not going to sell a lot, right? It's— you know, you know their stock's getting super punished. It's been downgraded again. Wall Street is punishing them because they, quote, don't have an AI play, end quote. And so if they release this $3,500 stinker when the consumer is suffering and there's no, quote, AI play, I think, I think the market and the, and the narrative just runs. It just writes itself. I, I guess. But, like, look at where they're starting from. It's, you know, w- what is the negative outcome here? What I just said. Okay, so a stock dip. I, I mean, I guess. A stock dip and just a general credibility loss, and then inevitably, it, I think, this prediction, although I'm not actually, I'm not actually under, underwriting it, but this prediction is that it gets looked back historically as this was the beginning of the end for Tim Cook. That Tim Cook just can't innovate. He can't connect with what the Apple consumer actually needs anymore, and it's time for Tim to go. And look, it all begins in a series of failed products. And imagine also if... The Wall Street project predictions about services revenue to go down, iPhone sales to be low, and for the next iPhone to be low. I mean, it's it's it could be a snowball effect. I just don't see it. I you're not biting. You're not I'm not biting. biting. I you know I feel like Tim Cook has already. Are you going to get one? Oh hell no. Okay. Uh, well, are you going to get one? You know, if if I. <sighs> 
I don't know. Dave Jones just boosted with a 5,100, 50 sats. And he says the Apple Vision Pro is perhaps the worst timing of a product launch ever. That's what I think. Yeah. I think if they'd launched this two years ago, it's a different conversation. Well, I, I've noticed they've done these sessions and like, you know, Marco and a bunch of the other more like super Apple focused folks are, are definitely like they can't say anything, but wink, wink, nudge, nudge. They're very excited. I just, you know, it has all the problems of like a, an expensive device, i.e. like a HoloLens, although I will concede that this is probably far better than the HoloLens. And then it adds the problems of being an Apple device, because I tend to think about these things as like from an opportunity perspective as, okay, do we want to go back to the world of consumer stuff, which $3,500 a pop, I, I just think that's a non-starter on its, on its face. But enterprise, it could be, right? I mean, this was the, the dream of the HoloLens. It would be, uh, for those who don't know, HoloLens was like Microsoft's, well, basically this, right? Like AR, VR. I think it's interesting that Apple doesn't want those terms used, probably because they're trying to redefine what the thing's supposed to be to have less comparisons to other devices in the future. Uh, you know, I'll give them credit. I bet they have a better experience. That's why they don't want it to be associated. Yeah, I bet they, I bet they have a very limited better experience. Yeah. Well, right? that's it. You nailed it. Okay. Yeah. So my, my, my bullish version – so now I'll, I'll steel man this. My bullish version for the Vision Pro is that it truly is what replaces the Mac. If you look at the Apple product lineup, you got the iPhone, you got the iPad, and then you got the Mac. And it's not the type of product Apple really makes anymore, even though they're doing an SOC and it's essentially an iPhone in a case that's just really been built up. No judgment. It seems to be a good product. But ultimately, you could see something like the Vision Pro getting more and more Mac-like hardware. Remember when they introduced it? It's got an M-series CPU in it. So I think Apple's hoping that if they build this thing out right, and I believe they have invested years in making this thing tick responsive, good cameras, the UI's been thought through. I read through the developer docs. Looks like they've thought about a lot of stuff. Like you can tell when Apple is kind of half-hearted around a product. Hold on. <clears throat> Apple TV. <laughs> oh. And when they're all in on a product, right? You can really tell when they're all in on a product. This is one they're all in on. And they've been all in on it for years. And if they could solve these problems that you're talking about, i.e. if I could actually use the hardware the way I want. I want, to, I want to connect devices and I want to copy files off of an external device and move things around in a file manager. I want to be able to install my own applications. I want to be able to do all of that stuff. And then I could actually see this truly replacing the Mac one day because look at guys like me. I'm the future, buddy. Look at me real good right now. I'm a trendsetter and I'm living in a tiny home. I got a family of five mm. living in a tiny home, and that's the future because real estate is not getting cheaper. Yeah, maybe it has ups and downs, but we're all living in pods and trucks and vans and tiny homes. And even people that live in big homes that I have conversations with, they're like, God, it sounds so nice. So much less to worry about, less to take care of, a lot simpler. I hear that. all. That's the future. But what you don't get in that hashtag lifestyle is a big 42-inch monitor for your killer PC setup, right? You don't get you don't get an 85-inch television. I just had to replace my TV. The biggest I could get was 43 inches. So, like, I'm stuck. I have no choice. I have to fit it in a space. I get 43 inches, max size. So, great. But you make this thing around 1000 bucks. you start marketing to people like me, and all of a sudden I can have a multi-monitor setup again. I could do video editing and audio editing in a space that has 
multiple windows and pristine audio and a distraction-free environment that I can have in my tiny home where my family of five is moving around. Fantastic. You sold me. But the only way you're going to get there is if I can use it as an actual technology device that I own. I got to feel like I own it, like I own my computer. I don't trust my phone. I don't trust my tablets because I don't own them. And if something goes wrong, I can't just like boot up another OS on my phone and mount the partition and go recover data. And I realize and recognize 99.5% of the customer base doesn't want to do that. But I do. And I spend my money. And until they can address these kinds of things that I can do with a real computer, I don't think it's a viable device, unfortunately. And it's going to get friend-zoned just like the iPad has. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is kind of what I'm thinking, too, is that the use cases for this are very similar to the iPad. And, you know, the other Apple rumor that we're talking about is OLED iPad 2 is coming out this year. I got to tell you, I would rather invest, you know, a third of the money in an OLED iPad 2, actually less than a third of the money in an OLED iPad 2 to watch videos than a Vision Pro. Because I, I really do think this is going to be stuck in consumption zone. Yep. The, the, consumption, the consumption friend zone where a device is never really justified in its expense so you can pick one up maybe every five years or so. Right. We'll see. We'll see. Well, I, and, and, and the primary problem with this, other than price, but from an enterprise perspective, it has nothing to do with the device. It's Apple's policies. It, you know, one, one of the things, even like today, if a c- potential customer for a long time now comes to me with a, like they want an app, you know, and it's an internal line of business app, unless there's a compelling reason, I do everything I can to keep them from having to actually like, go through Apple or do any kind of code signing. It's just a pain in the ass. It, <laughs> it, it isn't worth it. Amen. A lot of IT departments don't know how to do it and they get pissy because they, you know, for good reason, right? Like an outside vendor now controls this important aspect of their business, which means good luck firing us. Yeah, so PWAs, which I think we're going to talk about in a few minutes, I really have been pushing that, though there's certainly some issues, which ironically are mostly intentionally caused by Apple. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, if, if, if this was like the Wild West and there was like some special, even if it was something you had to do to the Vision Pro or hell, an iPad, really, I mean, this is my dream, right? Turn it on until, you know, I don't know, promiscuous mode or whatever, Wild, wild West mode where it can literally run any unsigned code whatsoever void the warranty we know what we're doing we're drinking the demon blood but we need to you know run our business we don't care that would be very different right that would be great but the hassle of dealing with because this does appear that it's going to have a very similar um you know you got to collect those uuids you got to sign every everybody up you got to make sure they give you the right uuid blah 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 uh, as you know, all the other iOS devices, it, it's just not worth the hassle. Especially the other, I guess, last concern I have is $3,500 for a device that I will bet my hat is extremely fragile. Promo code JARJAR. Take $2 a month off a lifetime of your membership plan when you become a Coder QA member. This applies to new members, existing members. You can also get this discount as a thank you. And if you're reactivating an expired subscription, the only gotcha is there's 50 possible redemptions total. So you got to move kind of quick. It's promo code JARJAR. You get $2 off for the lifetime of your Coder QA membership. Now, a little over a year ago, Coder was an easy sell. The Linux shows pose a bit more of a challenge, but Coder, 
was easy because sponsors grokked a developer-focused show. Later on in the year, Linux Action News had to be completely paused. Now, though, fast forward to 2024, and Coder is our only ad-free show. It maintains solid performance, even when others have faded, but it's just facing fewer buyers in an oversaturated podcast market. And there's been a recent burst in market bubble signals that have really just made podcast advertising overheated for the last few years. And I expect that's going to be on a continued sustaining decline for this year as well, just like it was last year. We're going to be in year two of an advertising decline. Now, that becomes a problem when it collides with Jupiter Broadcasting's high sponsorship standards. We don't just work with anybody. We have to work with products, projects, whatever it might be that we believe in, people we've sourced from our community perhaps, from our audience. I think in this environment, it's going to eliminate up to 90% of our potential sponsors, maybe even 95%. i am not kidding because the quality of sponsors that are available is going down. And this impacts all independent media. It's not just podcasting. YouTubers are impacted by this. Bloggers are impacted by this. Everybody is impacted by this that is ad-supported. There is a declining quality in buyer. Not all of them, but there is overall, combined with fewer buyers and then, per- frankly, just our refusal to compromise on some of these for short-term deals, I think it really underscores all of this when combined. It underscores the need for independent media more than ever and keeping independent media alive while we go through this advertising winter, blizzard, really. I think in the face of worsening commercial and advertising-funded media landscapes, we have to prioritize maintaining independent media. We will selectively work with top-tier sponsors, maybe for certain things or in certain shows. But I suspect perhaps this is a good thing. I think 2024, the bulk of our support is going to be direct value for value support. So please consider joining the Coder QA crew. You got that special Jar Jar discount. Or consider boosting regularly to directly contribute to the ongoing production and episode creation. Your support means a continued independent media landscape that's working to maintain its independence and its focus for its audience in a very challenging media environment. We'll have a link in the show notes for boosting or for becoming a member you'll find that at coder.show and thank you for your support if you're already supporting us we really appreciate it what a week we were watching basically running out of popcorn as dhh and the folks behind hay and the hay calendar went to war with apple um how about i'll run us down the timeline just so we have it Mm. and then we'll chew on this so round one january 2nd 6 38 a.m DHH tweets that we have a great native dedicated app ready for Hey Calendar. The Android one is sitting there waiting for us to publish. But guess what's happening to the other one on iOS? It's still in review since mid-December. And then he, in this first thread, he starts flexing the Digital Markets Act, saying it can't go into effect soon enough. Round two comes January 3rd. He says, oh, Apple, not this shit again. I thought we sorted this out two and a half years ago in round one. He goes on. January 5th, round three, saying they are, they're letting us know why they're rejecting the Hey Calendar app from the App Store. The same bullying tactics as last time. Push delicate rejections to a call with the first time name only person who will then softly inform you it's your wallet or your kneecaps. On January 5th, we got a blog post about Apple rejecting the Hey Calendar. Then on J- Jan 5th, also later in the day, in the same hour, the Verge happens to post an antitrust-related piece to app about Apple, saying, quote, Apple might be the next big tech company facing antitrust charges that has some deets about the Department of Justice finalizing antitrust investigations into Apple. 
that targets its closed ecosystem. This is confirmed by the New York Times as well. Then later, on January 5th, an hour after The Verge posted that, your buddy Tim Feeney, Jum Sweeney, jumps in um, from, you know, Fortnite fame, and uh, he replies to an App Store marketing tweet burning them saying, Fortnite is not in your App Store because you are blocking it from a billion users. Tim Sweeney never misses an opportunity. <laughs> later on January 5th, later in the evening, uh, East Coast time, The Verge is back writing up the, the Hey story for DHH and gets a quote in there that it's, quote, bullying tactics. Then on de- January 6th at 9 a.m., DHH posts a blog that says, happiness is never having to ask for permission. And he talks about what we've lost. He says the free market. This is where I think we're going to get to in a moment. And he thinks it's time for PWAs. And then we got the resubmission. And then today, this morning at 7.37 a.m., Apple approved the Hay calendar. He says it's ridiculous that it needed this awareness and pressure. But I'm happy for our iOS team to see their work through the weekend pay off in full. So I guess they must have made changes to make Apple happy. Yeah, they added a little uh, history of Apple section that you can view without logging in. I'm serious. I'm not joking at all. That, it sounds like trying, I mean, like trying to appease the king. Like, wow. Well, no, it was trolling. It was like, I mean, he wrote a blog post about it. He, he was trolling. Okay, okay. But it's technically complied. And yeah. You, you remember in the, and I don't know if it's still there, but in the original Apple developer guidelines, they had a section at the very end that was like, don't run to the press if you don't agree with us. It never helps. Uh, that statement, I think, is provably false. If you are big enough and can get enough and get The Verge, for instance, to write about you, uh, it's one of the only things that does work. It, it seems to be the only thing that – well, not just that. I believe you have to also have the constant threat and pressure of antitrust. And essentially, if anybody makes enough noise and they get enough awareness, they probably become a witness in the DOG's case. Is it really the DOJ that we're worried about or is it you know our friends in Brussels? Well, both. Yeah. Both. I mean, it's both. It's they're they're under a lot of pressure, and so they have to they have to navigate that really carefully. And DHH was able to leverage that. This was a super weird case. Um, well, first, I I should full disclosure, the level of just pure hedonic pleasure I got out of this was frankly disgusting. I mean, I I have it was one of the more enjoyable few days I've had in a long time, and I don't know why. And I think I need to like do some soul searching because just watching honestly tim sweeney and dhh might be the batman and robin of indie developers now because and and indie like they're not i mean maybe base camp kind of but certainly not uh epic games right it it was just surreal how quickly they jumped on this and how unrelenting they were like I, I honestly believe uh, Sweeney in particular like has a dartboard in his bathroom while he's taking a poop with Tim Cook's face on it, and he's just like lobbing shuriken at it. I, I really do. I, I, <laughs> the level of like he's always there. He must have like a Google alert set up. Like maybe it's called just App, App Store nonsense, and he gets the ping, and he's like, let's go. First of all, DHH has managed to really – strike the perfect amount of constant rage generation on Twitter to really keep this uh, uh, pressure cooker situation. And then he clearly knows people at The Verge because even before they specifically wrote up a story about him, they were writing stories around this that helped his situation. 
that's a big that's a big tool in the old tool bag <laughs> right there. Uh, along with, you know, Sweeney coming in for the sick burns <laughs> as backup. They essentially had a multi-day, we'll put all links in the show notes, a multi-day sustained campaign against App Store Review, and they won. Yeah, they, they won as much as you can win, right? They, they did something, but I, I got to be honest, I don't think that would work for any, like, real indie developer. No. <laughs> so, yeah, okay, I'll put something for free in the app. It's a, it's a cheeky go-F-yourself about your company's history, which is very backhanded, reminding you that you guys used to be, you know, the, the uh, plucky upstart. Yeah, I get it. That is good. Okay, that's good. Yeah. When I saw his post about seeing the light around PWAs, I got angry. Part of me feels like, why didn't you do this sooner? Why, you know, you, you could have been helping prevent this App Store problem. Well, he, he has been, though. So, well, come so on. Th- but come no, on. He's just yeah, now he, coming to the PWA light? Like, all of a sudden, PWAs though, right? are the solution? He's not. He, he, remember, he's the Rails guy. He's I the know. guy who I know, but look what, look, look what they actually do, though, as far as their own apps. Uh, it, it uses some WebBet components, too, allegedly. So this is where we get it. The PWA discussion's a little hard because – and we'll take it in the context of Rails. Rails has been trying for a long time to make this better. And, and the reality of the situation is that PWAs are fantastic on every platform but iOS. And that is not because of a defect in either, you know, the HTML JavaScript standards or in the case of Rails, like TurboLinks and the, uh, they're moving to some hyper something in Rails 8. I can't remember, but we're going to do a show on Rails 8 anyway. Uh, it, it's just because Apple does a bunch of dicks and like intentionally nerfs uh, mobile Safari. So it is a provable fact that if you are a consumer app and you're going for like the fanciest whiz-bang GUI and you want to be super slick and whatever, you probably do need to go native. I would argue that's almost never worth it in the enterprise context. But this is not like something that, you know, is a is a like a like the hey, it's not like the hey calendar app is crappily coded or anything, or you know, that Hanselman didn't know. It's that Apple goes out of their way to either, you know, overtly disallow things. Or barely implement stuff, right? Where they drag their little hooves such that they're... I mean, we could take the uh, Chrome implementation in Android as an example. Apple's usually six months to a year behind. And when it comes to performance, let me quote New Jersey, forget about it. It's terrible. So, and it's intentional, right? Like, and you could see their perspective. Because if Apple were to, like, make mobile Safari not suck... The first thing that, let's be honest, Tim Sweeney does is launch an epic gameplay player on on, I, on iOS Safari. First thing Microsoft does is launch xCloud on iOS Safari. And uh, that sweet, sweet 30% revenue is, uh, you know, put into Jeopardy. There's no, my point is there's no technical reason that PWAs should be less good than native apps on iOS other than the intentional, uh, you know, strategy tax. Rant over. Yeah, no, you're right. There, there, and there, there is a user experience difference still. Man, I hope we make this transition sooner than later. Only, only, only Valerie in the EU can help us. She's on it, you know. She's on everything. She's got a plan for everything. The EU. I'm, I'm, you know, over a year now. Last November, I switched. So the year before, so not this November, but the November before, I switched to Graphene OS because I was freaking out about Apple's App Store control too much. And I wanted to just kind of keep a, a leg in there. The whole rest of the family is still on iOS. But I think it could be trending towards me getting 
the wife on a, a Pixel instead of an iPhone for her next phone. I, I think it's just maybe time, and I can manage it for her. Yeah, I, I can't. I, I, I'm too far. I mean, I'm, I'm shooting up between my toes the iLife at this point. I can't stop. <laughs> I, understand. I understand. The withdrawals would be horrible. It is nice to see this come to a resolution that the Hey calendar gets in there. We'll have the timeline. Yeah, I think it's funny that this was all about uh, what's, you know, I mean, congrats to the Hey team. But in the grand scheme of the App Store, a relatively small calendar app. Well, and his argument was, is that it was something that they had already settled on their last app, Hey. And now they're just breaking this out using sort of the same onboarding process. He's like, this is a settled matter. Why are we bringing it up again? I mean, I'm... I think he knew it was going to get rejected because if you if you look at the Clausy sites, they added email apps because of the fight with Hey before. Yeah, they didn't say anything about calendar apps, and it. Yeah, I agree. That was that was true. He was leaning on that definition of email apps pretty hard. <laughs> pretty 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 uh pretty cute. Maybe too clever by half there. Also, you the the challenge for Apple, and we've seen this right in their leaked emails from uh with the lawsuit, the uh, Epic lawsuit, uh, not leaked but released emails is that they are aware that they don't enforce the rules 100% accurately, right? And sometimes that's intentional. Sometimes, like, they make sweetheart deals with Amazon, which they did. Other times it's, uh, you know, people are people and people screw up. I wonder if the question, if the easiest thing for Apple might be, and I I guess they could never do this because Wall Street would kick them firmly in the gonads, but just to say, all right, you can let people sign up outside our app, uh, any transactions that happen in the app or any signs up in the app have to be paid through us. But if they sign up, whatever, in Chrome or on the browser, uh, you know, we'll laissez-faire. We're fine. I, I can see why they don't want to do that, because the minute you do that, I mean, Tim Sweeney probably blacks out from just sheer excitement. So, But once he wakes up, they're going to do, well, no, no, not Tim Sweeney, because Apple kicked all his crap out of the app store. Hang on. <laughs> but, you know, everybody else in a similar position is just going to rip out their sign up in the app functionality. And there's would certainly, especially the game developers, there would certainly be an appreciable loss in terms of uh, that sweet, sweet services revenue off the 30%. And looking at the sales projections for iPhones that we just mentioned in the top segment and iPads, uh, that 30% is their bread and butter right now. So I don't see how they could do that. They're they're kind of screwed by having been so hardcore years ago. Yep, I agree. If you'd like to boost into the show, we sure appreciate it. It's a great way to support the show. And Fountain 1.0 just came out, and it is a banger release. It also has really slick integration with Strike, one of my favorite ways to grab a little bit of Bitcoin at a time, and they work in 36 countries. Some nice features. You get all the new podcasting 2.0 feature sets, which means like you get a new episode within about, oh, 90 seconds or so of us posting. If we go live, we've had people boosting live. You get notifications about that. A fantastic set of discovery tools, especially in Fountain, and a bunch of other things like transcripts and chapters, depending on the podcast, and a whole ecosystem of new shows over there. Go check out Fountain, find Coda Radio, and start boosting in. Each boost supports the show directly, each episode directly, and a bit of it goes to Editor Drew, myself, the network, the Podverse, Dev, FMs. Of course, the revenue the show makes, a little kickback goes to Mr. Dominic as well. And we'll get to those boosts later in the show. They're a big part of the show as well. So it's a nice way to interact and support each individual production directly using a free peer-to-peer network. So go try it out. Fountain, Podverse, there's a whole bunch at podcastapps.com.
Well, people probably heard about this New York Times lawsuit against Microsoft and OpenAI for copyright infringement. But uh, we wanted to weigh in because I think our our bar now for talking about this AI stuff is generally if there's going to be some kind of overall impact, some kind of knock-on effect we'll be dealing with. And I think this probably reaches that bar. Uh, the New York Times is asserting that there has been nothing transformative about what OpenAI and Microsoft are reproducing. And their legal filing is seeking billions in damages. Pinkies up. Yeah, they've also tried to come up with some big fat contract and those negotiations fell apart already. So we're like, we're past all that stuff. And now we're in the legal fights. It seems kind of like they got him too. Now they did, they did work the prompts to get this. But like in the filing, and you've probably seen the screenshots, they've got almost a word for word. Here's the New York Times article piece. Here's what Chad produced. You know, with all this stuff, yeah, it takes a little finagling to get that. But it looks just – it's such a – it makes the point in just a picture. You can, see, you can see that they're copying the New York Times without even having to read the article. Essentially, the New York Times says, look, training your stuff and making all this money off of OpenAI means that you added trillion dollars to your market cap, Microsoft. And OpenAI rose to a, a $90 billion valuation because they had this technology – in part, which was trained on New York Times data. And so they're suing. And I think this will set a pretty, pretty big precedence. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think this is one of the most predictable things. Uh, yes, yes, that It too. makes sense that it would be the New York Times because, you know, hey, bro, we're the New York Times. They need to pay them. I don't know what to say. Like, yeah, you can't. Oh, I think they're going to have to, right? Like, I'd love to know why the negotiations failed. I bet it's money because they wanted too much money. Okay, I have a crazy theory that maybe, like, how should you, these publishers be compensated? Should it be like a flat license every year? Or should it be like per usage, which creates all kinds of weird incentives for how you might want to train the LLM? And it com- the question is, is do we trust the chat GPT methodology for sourcing? How do we know? Like, because, you know, you know how this works. It's not like it's... It's not like it's all coming from one place. So they would have to wait the sourcing and then do attribution. Their system would be making the attribution. I I would think the way this would work out from an end user standpoint is the chat GPT engineers would start building content filters for different partners. And so if something had, you know, a high enough assignment score of being sourced from the New York Times, it'll only be exposed to folks that are, you know, that have added the New York Times plugin, which has a price to their chat GPT package. So you, you literally do the OAuth, yeah. Yeah, you authorize, you, can, you, link your, you link your chat GPT account to your New York Times account, and then you get a little token, and now the stuff that's sourced from the New York Times gets exposed in your chat. Yeah, I think that's a good way to do it. I mean, yeah, well, there's some sort of rev deal. Would you pay uh, for it? No. Right, I wouldn't either. I, I mean, I don't, I don't think the content's worth it. I don't think the content is worth it from the well, New York That's not Times. how I use ChatGPT either. Well, like, there's I, that. I could just read the Times if I want to. Well, there's that. That's exactly right. And the, the reason why I'm making this point, though, is this is how you silo the world's knowledge, is through these types of deals and by not allowing people to index it. Now, so say like Jupiter Broadcasting wants to build like our own real-time tech news large language model that we could just use for our own show production internally, and maybe we wanted to make it available as an open source model? Well, we wouldn't be able to use New York Times data. We could never afford to license it. You know it's going to be millions of dollars. No open source model will. And this sets the new standard. All over totally crappy, not worth it, New York Times content. 
Like, it's not even good stuff. It's like, it's not archive.org, right? It's not like, you know, some sort of very valuable medical database. It's, it's the New York Times, which is for people who aren't even going to use ChatGPT. Uh, I, so I'm really kind of, un, I'm kind of bummed out to see this happen because we knew this would be the end result. And of course, Microsoft and OpenAI and Apple and others will happily afford to, to pay this. And I, I've been reliably informed that Apple is in negotiations with New York Times and others to offer them money to just license it directly before there's been some sort of standard pricing model. And I've had it implied to me by someone who might know that one of the reasons the deal between the New York Times and Microsoft fell apart is because Apple's paying a lot more money than Microsoft was willing to. Can't say for sure, but I don't like the way this goes. Yeah, I mean, the problem is OpenAI already did it, right? I, I wonder if, you know, you went back in a time machine and asked them, is this even worth it? Like, maybe don't scrape the New York Times, right? Yeah. Because I don't know. I mean, I guess for historical data, if you have like the back catalog and you're going through it, that might be worth it for like generating, you know, uh, I, you know, cheating term papers for college kids. I feel like there should be an expiration, like short term, five five years. Okay, yeah, everything has to be licensed. But at some point, when do we want to make things available to human knowledge? And and the, seriously, like people twenty thirty years from now. Yeah. Okay. Mickey Mouse. Right. Steamboat yeah. Willie. One very specific version just became public domain after how long? Yeah, I know. I mean, that's and that just seems like we're just gonna. But now we're gonna essentially entrench and commoditize and marketize and all of that, that process. For anything anybody produces, The Verge, The New York Times, not iconic, massive, obvious, like trademarks and copyright properties, but everything, every crap article, every crap review, everything The Wirecutter puts out, you can't, so now you can't source any of that to include it in part of the training. It's just silly because it's not how actual training works. And it, it's like the same idea of, of adding noise to data so that way AI can't use it to, to generate images or music. You add some sort of bogus data. You poison something today. It just seems so short-sighted because these things last forever. You know, it's it, it's the system we live in. And I, I don't think all these issues are going to be financial settlements. Copyright law is not going to change anytime soon. Certainly not in favor of the chat GPTs of the world. I mean, there's just a lot of entrenched power and money and political influence in the IP holding firms. So, yeah, they're going to have to get paid, right? Like, I don't know what to say. You got to pay them. Now, how much they should be paid? Well, the problem is OpenAI already did this. So New York Times can actually sue for damages. If it was something they were thinking of doing and the Times folks were unreasonable, you could throw your hands up and walk away from the table. And you're you're out. You know you have no liability. But because OpenAI behaved like a startup and not like a ninety billion dollar company that has a target right. on their back. Like I don't have a ton of sympathy for them because you know fuck them right. Like they're a ninety billion dollar company, and I I you know I know you don't care for the Times, but I I do. It does annoy me that many of like the old tech publications, particularly the dead paper ones, the magazines that I used to enjoy, are dead because they couldn't generate any revenue, and. One, given the copyright laws as they stand, the New York Times is just correct on its face. And two, I would like to see content creators make more money because, well, you know, we're content creators, right? And also, 
I don't know. It would be great if like more computer hobbyist magazines were made, or at least some old ones could come back, even if they came back as like digital, you know, like blogs or whatever. I'd like that, right? I'd I'd like to be able to get tech news from places that are, you know, not necessarily the fancy San Francisco, Washington D.C., New York people who have access, uh, and then write books about how much they hate everybody who made their career. Coming out in February, can't wait to read it. Or, you know, some dude's blog who I don't know if he's sitting in his basement frying some alligator conspiracy bacon and just making it up, right? Because that's kind of the binary choice you have right now. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. I think the, ter- the term for it is uh, access media. Access journalism, right. Yeah, that's what it is. You're going to yeah. see it. You're going to see it on ultimate display with the Apple Vision Pro. Oh, you already do, right? Right. These people that get it for free, they're going to they're going to they're going to talk about how great it is. Oh, it's cutting edge, it's early days. You know, it's still not quite there yet, but on on you know, on whole it's going to be 85% gushing. Yeah. Because they didn't have to spend $3500 to get it. Well, even if they did, right? It's you know, I mean, we should move off of this, but there there is a certain uh kind of understandable natural corruption that can happen when you literally need to be able to get access to the people and get the device in your hands. If you can't, then uh, put it this way. There used to be many more tech blogs like The Verge. And I'm not saying The Verge is necessarily guilty of this, but it certainly helps that they can get the Apple interviews. They get the devices. I mean, they do pay for, I think, almost all of them. But I, maybe maybe this is part of us being old, Chris, but I feel like there was a lot more variety of voices that had a substantial enough following to be reputable in the past, particularly like print content, than there is now. You know, there used to be a lot more cranks. There used to be a lot more. There, there was people that either bought the device themselves or they built their reputation around having like a strong moral fiber and not having the review devices sway their opinion. And so that was their whole angle. But, and you know, this is the problem with the access journalism slash media is the ones that spoke really positively and had a large following and got everybody excited are obviously going to be the ones that get rewarded because these companies are going to be strategic. They have limited amounts of review devices. They want a specific narrative right around the launch. They're not going to pick, you know, the John C. Dvorak out there who's going to call the new phone crap. Yep. They're not going to, they're just not going to do that. <laughs> right. And there used to be, I mean, we, we should move on, but there was yeah. also like a diversity in like, you know, uh, political affiliations, lifestyle, where these people live, this I'm I'm finding that regionality is maybe a thing that needs to come back a little bit in the states here because like people are different. It's a big country, right? Like <laughs> it's a really big country. Ask not what your podcast can boost for you. So boost. But what you can boost for your podcast. Exactly. Keep independent media weird, right? Like Tampa Tech Trekkie is with 171 sats. Using Podverse. Regarding Mike using his MacBook Pro with 98 gigabytes of RAM. It's 96. Okay. Couldn't he use Windows on ARM for his Windows dev work, or is there some reason it has to be x86? I've been running Windows on ARM, and granted, I don't have any Microsoft dev software on it, but it seems to do everything great. So Visual Studio for Windows on ARM just came out. I haven't tried it yet. There is no boot camp in the newer versions of Mac. So that would be running it in a VM. Mm. Given the heavy compile loads that I was having problems with, I don't know how viable that would be. You know, I've had pretty good experience with Linux ARM VMs. It feels pretty native, but I, I, I don't know about Windows. The, the the very specific set of problems I have on this project is I'm pretty sure the libraries are not compatible with Windows on ARM. 
themselves, right? So they're like, you know, X64 and then like iOS versions of them. So I do not believe that would work. Having said that, I, I didn't try. In theory, right, Windows on ARM is coming out like they have WinForm support and they're coming out with more stuff. Yeah. If for some sick reason you're doing Maui, you can do that. I, I, this is one of those, those uh, topics that comes up that if you listen to the back catalog in six months, I think this is a non-issue. He's, Tampa Tech, he's probably right. Or Trek, he's probably right. It's just at the time I had to make the decision and still now it is not viable. But in six months, I probably. Tampa Trek, you let us know if you're going to do the Babylon 5 challenge. Uh, I'd, I'd be curious to know. Dave Jones is listening live and comes in hot with a boost. Coming in hot with the boost. 25,000 sats from our live Jupiter station feed, which is now published. He says, a live coder, be still my beating heart. Welcome on board, Dave. It's nice to have you here. Mick Lane comes in with 29,999 sats from the, from the index. And he writes, what's better than an evening, with an evening out my sats, there we go, by supporting Coder Radio? Well, maybe hear you guys talking about Babylon 5. Yes. <laughs> I was a big fan of Babylon 5 when it came out in the 90s. It won me over Star Trek because the plot went forward, unlike the Next Generation episodes that I got used to at the time. Yes, the first season is a bit hit and miss. But compared to the Next Generation season one through, say, four, it's really not that bad. And uh, he says, speaking of sci-fi, where's my Battletech Mech Warrior fans out there? Hey, hey. Okay. So I did it. I, I got through season one during the holiday break. Uh, I followed that that Reddit guide, which I should try to link to again. It's on our Star Trek. That's like, should I watch Babylon Five? And the guy's like, if you're gonna, if you just can't get through season one, watch these six episodes. And then he's got an extended list. It's like eleven episodes. And then he's got like a you could watch them all, but just skip these two episodes kind of list. And I went with his extended episodes list. So I watched about eleven, twelve episodes oh, of season man. one. You know, to really get the core things. I sit back to watch episode one of season two. Oh. And it's like a whole new commander, yep. a whole new Ivanovan. Like she's like totally new hair. She speaks completely different. She's much more friendly. Like they, they tweak a lot during that season one to two transition. So you want to know the reason for it? Yeah, I do. I really do. It was a secret at the time. The director kept his, kept his word to the original actor, but they, uh, you know, time all secrets go away, right? <laughs> yeah. He had some serious psychological issues and had a breakdown between the seasons. So they had to hurry and recast, and they changed Ivanova because of, to have a better dynamic with the new guy. Uh, yeah, because he's definitely got a different style. Yeah, but they wrote him out. They actually wrote, it was, I was watching a documentary on it because I'm that level nerd. And the writers had bad experiences with previous shows of actors like ditching them. So they wrote all these trap doors. Like, there were versions of scripts for every single bridge crew character to get killed and just written off the show in some way. That's so, that's probably not a bad idea for negotiation That's super purposes. smart. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, it really wasn't, you know, as far as, like, how do you handle a transition where you don't have the going away commander? Like, they really, they handled it pretty well. Um, well, spoiler, he comes back, not as the commander, but he comes oh. back as, like a, like, a helper to the commander. God, he was so stiff. Yeah, I like the second guy. I like Sheridan better, actually. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like Ivanova better now too, as well. Uh, Noob Steve. So, I, if you got out out there, if you got past season one, let us know. I now, so I'm only a few episodes I, in. Wait, wait, you got to season two? Yeah, I'm though. only a couple. Of, I'm like three episodes into season two. Oh, do 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 you like it? I mean, uh oh. I'm starting to. 
I couldn't really tell you like I've watched uh, one of the main characters. She went through like a, a literal transformation. Uh, they've laid a couple of hints that I like, like, you know, tentacles and things like that that I find fascinating. But um, so far, I'm not like really feeling like I've like like my tire hasn't made grip with the road yet. But mm. I'm willing. I'm willing. I'm only like three episodes into season two. So I'm willing. Because season two, if you don't like it by then, the end of season two, you're probably not going to like it. So far, it's been a nice, like, I'm at work by myself, and, you know, I have, like, something that I want to watch while I'm waiting for something to finish. Like, you yeah. know, like, it's great for, I don't know, it's, it's been nice for day watching. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's, it doesn't require 100% CPU to process, that's for sure. So Yeah, 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 yeah it's kind of, it's nice for that. Uh, Noob Steve comes in with 24,690 cents. Uh, he says, uh, here's a new JB show proposal. Unfilter the sci-fi version. I love listening to Mike failing to defend Babylon 5, but he did just a good enough job to get me to start watching. He continues. Seems like I didn't fail that much, guys. <laughs> he continues in a, another Spaceballs so boost. the combination is one, two, three, four, five. That's the stupidest combination I ever heard in my life. Just a New Year's boost to say thanks. Also, uh, K from Men in Black said it best, quote, a person is smart. People are dumb, panicky animals. That's, That's fair. That is fair. That is fair. Manitak came in with 2,261 sats. He says, part of what made both Deep Space Nine and Babylon 5 interesting yes. was good characters who made the stories more personal. Strange Worlds seems to have perfected this. It also, did you know that In the Pale Moonlight is immediately followed by the first appearance of Space Tony Bennett? I didn't. Of course, because they once you do something so good, the f- next move is, all right, that's it. Get Fonz, get the shark. I feel like what's actually kind of unfortunately happened, though, here is Tat has just kind of tainted in the pale moonlight. Those of you who don't know Deep Space Nine, uh, fantastic, Best. fantastic episode. But now I know that it's associated with Space Tony Bennett, and I just don't like it at all. Hmm. Well, you, 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 know, you know what that does. I, I have to elevate Cisco in my captain rankings right next to my favorite captain, Lorca, because yeah. I forgot about some of the shadier crap that Cisco does. You know, Space Bennett was was legitimately uh, the guys running the show. We're just feeling a little burned out. They're kind of out of ideas. I'm not even exaggerating or kidding. They've, they've said this in a documentary and they had been wanting to have like a Rat Pack thing for a while and they just hadn't gotten any other shows because they've only been working on Star Trek and so they just wanted to do it. Which is always a great reason to write something into an ongoing television series. Can I offend our fellow Trekkies here? Uh-huh, okay, right, I'll prepare. I think there should be a rule. One sentence. No holodeck. I am programmed in multiple techniques. Yeah, kill the holodeck. I think it's Space time. robot sex is fine. I no know. holodeck. I think it's time. It's time. The holodeck is like the, like, you know what? I, oh, my fellow liberal arts degree friends from college are going to be mad when they hear this. I used to hang out with a lot of the, the theater, I'd say people, but let's be honest, chicks. And, you know, a lot of the many of them were also into writing. And ev- the worst things that they would write, right, the worst scenes that they would have to perform or that would be when they say, oh, I just had so much fun writing this. If you feel yourself saying that, it's probably bad. <laughs> okay i just want to like put it out there it's a bad sign it's, it's it's just like with developers if we're like this is such a great you know module i wrote it it's probably way over engineered right and just like space tony bennett guys now the irony is a rat pack show because i love the rat pack when i was a kid my room had like 
pictures of the Sands Casino and Dean Martin and the Rat Pack. I'm not joking at all. I used to collect decks of playing cards from casinos. I would be down with that show. I would watch like an HBO prestige miniseries on the Rat Pack. It's own show. It's own show. Yeah. Right. But not right. Not in the hollow deck. What you're this is some wisdom you're laying down. And if I could summarize it, what you're saying is be aware. It is very easy to get high on your own supply. Absolutely. And, and just fall in love with it. That's what you're saying. And I think that's very wise advice. Like, you know, I'm doing uh, this kind of side game devy project and I'm watching the younger folks, you know, the kids and cousins and all that play games. And I'm realizing that these kids play games completely differently than we did. Oh, okay. It is more of an exploratory, just chilling experience, at least for for this group of uh, my son and his homies. And I'm like, they don't give it. Like, we have an Xbox Series X. What is he playing? Roblox. What does it look like? I think my toaster could run it. Yeah. 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 One of my kids, so I got three kids. One of my kids, uh, he's gaming like he's in the Olympics combined with like some sort of pole vaulting combined oh, with wrestling. I mean, they're screaming. You'd think, you'd think he's in an esports like competition. Like, oh man, oh geez, did you see that? Oh, I'm coming in clutch. Oh, my ping's way up. Like screaming the entire time. And then the other one is completely silent, playing like a cat game where she's just running around as a cat in Roblox. That's it. Talking to the cats. It's 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 like an acid trip. <laughs> well, we got some ducks over here. Ian clearly came in with a row of ducks. He has some TV recommendations. Jury Duty from 2023 on Amazon Prime. Does look good. Lighthearted, he says. And uh, we would enjoy it. He says, Happy New Year as well. Okay. He says, it's actually only related by the concept of Jury Duty. I don't know what he means by that, but I'm going to take the recommendation and I'll go uh, sniff around. Jury Duty seems like. Oh, I thought it was like a 12 Angry Men thing. No, it's probably, it's got to be, it says it's lighthearted. Oh, never mind. And entertaining. So and no Jack Lemon. Magnolia Mayhem, who's in the live chat, came in with Spaceballs Boost. Our, actually, really, probably our third one. One, two, three, four, five. Yes. That's amazing. I've got the same combination on my luggage. He says, no, no sponsor. No. Oh, I think that's why he boosted. Thank you, Mayhem. Dave Jones is also uh, listening uh, to the back catalog, the workstation lifestyle. And uh, he says, my cron auto boost was screwed up. So here's 5,000 sats. I'll get it working soon. <laughs> Dave, Dave, your lightning channel's all busted. Oh, I feel you. I feel you. Tom's dad came in with 10,000 sats using the index. He says, here's one for you about the layoffs. It's seemingly insidious. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. I read this. He, he links us to a post about Amazon silent sacking. And about their, like, they're just basically making the conditions so that people quit. Also... There is a massive Amazon story going on right now where through a legal case with a former employee somehow, they seized all of his bank accounts and his wife's bank account and his mother and his mom and dad's bank account and I think some other family members' bank accounts and then put them through like this legal process for like four years. That's just absolutely devastating Um, just because of some dispute. Some really kind of basic thing, and there's a it's a fascinating story. If people are interested. Uh, Amazon is raising eyebrows. Torp came in with eleven thousand one hundred and one sats. Look at that satchel of sticks right there. He uh, is using Podverse, and he writes, "What are both of your opinions on characterizing software development like ship building? They're both large projects with many features built on top of very simple base and purpose, just work." 
This comes after Mike had brought up the failed attempts to make dev work easily accountable a few weeks past, but I didn't write down the exact industry we were comparing to. What do you think of comparing development to shipbuilding? It could be interesting. Yeah, or some large... I don't know if shipbuilding's it. It feels like shipbuilding isn't quite it because it's just too well established. It's like mm. forever. We, it, it seems like a newer, but also very intricate, you build from a base up industry would be more appropriate. I don't know, though. I like it, though. If anybody thinks of one, boost in. User 65 came in with 5,000 sats using Fountain. I think he's brand new because he's his first boost ever. Woohoo! Been listening to all your amazing shows. Thank you. And don't forget, user, you can go into your Fountain app and set your prof- profile name if you'd like. Uh, and thank you for taking uh, the time to uh, set up a first boost. I know that can be a bit of work. Southern Fried Sassafras, Sassafras comes in, Sassafras, with 2,000 sats using the index. Try not to go plaid when engaging ludicrous speed, boys. Wait, neither Babylon 5 nor DS9. Well, just take my oh, stats. No, but it's, it's, a, it's a good one, though. It is. That's pretty good. It is. Scott had a row of ducks for us. It's so strange that many of my friends love the flags for stuff like COVID and climate change and think they should be applied to everything, yet are also firm, firmly believe there's not enough democracy in the system and we need more of it. You can either trust the people or you don't. Maybe these tech companies and politicians are so far removed from the average person they don't realize the paradox. No, I think they just don't trust them. I mean, it's pretty you, – you, the answer's in your, uh, in your statement. Yeah, maybe. I, well, it could be disdain, you know. The riffraff, or like like the aristocrats of the what sixteenth century. What are they? What are these? What do they matter? Those people don't build anything. Yeah, contempt for the regular people. Right? What matters are corporations and enterprises that last hundreds of years. What do we care about those? So I think that's part of it. But then I think there is definitely the disconnect. You know, the well off are so disconnected. I you see it with the discussion around inflation. Like um, I'm, I was watching, I was watching a, a YouTuber that I followed for years, and he went shopping. And while he's shopping, he's like, oh, I'm going to buy this dog bed, and I think I'll pick up this because I think the wife likes this, and I'll get this. And he's just kind of like shopping like we used to, like I used to do 10 years ago or five years ago or three years ago, where you're kind of like, you went for one thing, but ah, I'll just get this and that. For me now, it's like I have to get the core three things I came for because I can't afford anything more. And that's just different discretionary amounts of funding. And so you feel the inflation differently. And so you're, you know, for some people, they're completely disconnected from what people are going through day to day where they're still still impacted by the cost of food. Other folks, you know, they're living it. Other folks aren't. I think there is a disconnect there. So I think it's both. I think it's both. I, but I do appreciate the boost, Scott. Thank you. User 65 came with 5,000 sats. First boost ever. Wow. Thank you. Another one. You also can go set your username. Appreciate that. Freeloader came in with 2,345 stats listening live. Hey there. Nicely done. He says, you guys can probably see what Apple's thinking. They're pricing the Vision as a decent spec MacBook Pro, but you pay premium for that general purpose tool. The Vision's just way too specific. Yeah. That's it, isn't it? That's it. Yeah, that, that, that's fair. I think Apple is is trying to do that. I think that is exactly what Apple's trying to do. And then coming in just under the wire, look at that. Dave Jones comes in with 5,150 sats, and he says two words, Ponfar. <laughs> I agree. Ponfar indeed, Dave Jones. <laughs> oh, my. Uh, yes, yes. Um, well, uh, so this totals off by 5,000, but uh, we had, uh, we had uh, 21 boosters. Thank you, everybody. And uh, we stacked uh, 342,394 sats. That's a much better improvement. Now, that does... 
account for a couple of episodes. We'd love to see it right around there as we go sponsor-free. We'd love to see the support continue. We'll continue to also stream live, which you can now catch in the Podcasting 2.0 apps by just searching for the Jupiter Station feed. I think it'll be pretty great. I love the support. We really appreciate everybody. And there's a whole list of apps at podcastapps.com. Um, all right, so I'll put a link to the Should You Watch Babylon 5 in the show notes. I'm If, 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 you're, if you're a crammer, you could really do it in like four episodes. And I'm just at season two, and I'm probably going to be going a little bit slower now that the holiday break is over. But I would love to know what you think. If you're a Star Trek, or I suppose even a Star Wars fan, what you think if you give Babylon 5 a go? Uh, I've tried it. I, it's one of those shows that I've I uh, I've kind of just glanced off the atmosphere multiple times. But I'll tell you why. In part, it was your extremely compelling argument. But um, I I glanced off of the atmosphere of the Expanse three times mm. before I landed and just put up with the first few episodes that I didn't like. And the Expanse, the Expanse yeah. is one of my, I know, I saw Drew was trying to get you to watch it. The Expanse is one of my all-time favorite sci-fi shows, probably all-time favorite television shows. And then when you get hooked, the great part is there's like books that expand upon the universe. And the books are great. They're written by the same people. It's fantastic. So it's really, you know, a lot of nerd potential. So I, I really have enjoyed the Expanse universe. And it took a few, it took a few passes. And it was worth it. So I'm, I'm, I'm giving it a go with Babylon. And your compelling arguments. Of course. So compelling. So compelling. Is there anywhere you want to send the good people before we get out? Uh, go to alice.dev, and uh, you can follow me on Weapon X all right. uh, at Dumaduco. I will. Finally. After all these years, I just might do that. Uh, I'm over there, too, at Chris LAS. The show is at Coda Radio Show, and the network's at Jupiter Signal. I mean, you, you know. Yeah, I'll, you know what? I'll, I'll probably write you back if you write at me over there. Um, find out about live streams and stuff. I don't know. I don't know. Get in the Matrix. Coda.show slash Matrix. Also, get the show notes at Coda.show slash 552. See how it all works? It's all over there. It's called a website. We got links and stuff. You'll figure it out. Like links to our RSS feed and all that. And, of course, you can always catch us live on Monday, generally, at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, over at jblive.tv or on that Jupiter station live stream feed. Thanks so much for joining us on this week's episode of the Coda Radio Program. See you right back here next week. Sometimes I feel like I'm the Commodore 64. <laughs>